I think to a person, we are all convinced that we work at the world's most dysfunctional company. And what I've come to believe is we're all correct. My name's Mike Lander, and you're listening to Marketing Negotiations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in partnership with The Drum, where we bring you negotiation insights from CMOs, agency leaders, and acclaimed authors. Brent Adamson, very, very, very good to have you on the Drums Marketing Negotiations podcast. Mark, it, uh, Mike, Mike just called you Mark. I don't know where that came from. I've already <laughs> screwed start. up, Mike. It is a great start. Look, I've shown my incompetence right off the bat. See, this is anchoring technique. So now I've anchored everyone at a very low level of capability, and I, it's only up. It's only up from here. Or is it only down from here? I might be screwed if it's only down from here, Mike. But anyway, it's good to be with you. <laughs> you don't. So, Brent, for those that don't know you, there won't be many people, but those that don't, uh, just talk about your, um, what's your background? What are you kind of famous for? Because uh, you are famous in a certain world, uh, and something unusual about yourself. Well, Mike, the, 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 there's like there's me, the individual. I'm just a schlub from Omaha, Nebraska. That's an interesting side note fact there. But the uh, then there's this brand called Brent Adamson, which is tied to a bigger brand, of course, which is the the book, the Challenger Sale and the Challenger Customer. Um, and that that all that's pretty well known. But so I'm a long history, a long career of essentially. I'm a, I'm a professional researcher. I'm a researcher, a writer, a teacher. Um, in all the various forms that that might take, a content creator, I suppose. Uh, I like to make things. I like to make ideas. I like to understand, not just understand knowledge, but create knowledge and try and figure things out. So um, the the early part of that career started in linguistics and um, and German literature, of all things, which is my PhD is in German and, and linguistics. Um, and then for the last 20 years or so, uh, through an uninteresting and long story. But uh, uh, about 20 years ago, I joined a company called Corporate Executive Board, or CEB, which uh, uh, and ran a long career there um, of research and sales, B2B sales, B2B marketing. That's where all the challenger work came out of that shop with a team of incredible people. Um, you've had Matt Dixon on the on the podcast before. Matt, Matt was, at least for a while, was part of that journey as well. Um, and that's when the Challenger stuff came out. Uh, and then uh, CEB was acquired by Gartner about five years ago. And so I continued at Gartner, um, bumped along there for a few years. And in, uh, in the last year or so, uh, I left, departed Gartner and joined a company called Ecosystems, which is a software as a service platform. And we live in this world of sometimes called value management, but it's helping customers. By the way, it's, there's a really interesting sort of kissing cousin story that's gross, I know, but uh, between negotiations and this thing called value management, which is just understanding what are the 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 dimensions of value that are most important to you and to your customers and how do you find common ground and align around them. So so in, in many ways, where I landed now today is is deeply aligned with a, a lot of what you do. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Brent, let's just like, we've got some questions, but as I yeah. said at the beginning, there'll be some rabbit warrens. Let's just forget the questions <laughs> sure. for a second. That yes. connection between, yeah. <laughs> between value and negotiation. Yeah, whenever I talk to clients and we're talking about training salespeople, in negotiation skills, in my case, um, one of the key things is clearly if you can't articulate the value in a fairly directionally correct way, how yeah. on earth are you going to negotiate a deal? Because you'll get treated as a commodity. So, how do you make sure that the value for the client and the value for you as a supplier, there's some alignment and understanding of what's important? How does that work? Okay, so now we're going to completely blow up your agenda. I hope it's okay because we're going to take about all the four questions we said we're going to talk about. We're going to combine them all into one, shake it up, and, and something else is going to come out because it's actually really interesting, Mike. So, so to your point of 
you know, how do you get your customer to value something? This is, I think, actually really interesting because it's been something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is how many of us have been, whether it's a negotiation or just a conversation with a customer, and particularly we spend a lot of time mapping out all the ways that we provide value. So we maybe have an ROI calculator, we have a utilization report, or we show the, the logos of the other brands or companies that we've worked with. We've shown the returns that they've had on those projects. And we put all this stuff on the table we think is really, really important and really, really, quote unquote, valuable. Look at how much money we can generate or have generated. And we run into, more often than not, I find, a yes, but problem. And this is <laughs> maddening, right? This is so maddening. And, and I think from a negotiation perspective, you'll totally appreciate where this is going to go, right? Which is like the yes, I, and you say, so you say, look at all the money we've made you, or look at all the money we can make you, or look at all the value that we can create for you. And the customer looks and says, yes, I totally agree. And you're thinking slam dunk, right? This is going really, really well. And then what happens? But 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 and and the mm. and the but can take all sorts of different versions or but it's forms, not really right? relevant but, here or exactly but I right but I don't really have that problem or our CFO needs to look this over or you know this feels really great but for right now it's kind of a nice to have not a need to have or yeah. you know this is super important but given the way the economy is going uh, we're going to have to put this on the back burner. Just put this on hold for six months. Right? There's a thousand ways that goes off the rails, even when it feels like you've just put a number of what you call them negotiables or dimensions of value, or whatever, on the table. And you're thinking, I've just laid it out. And you looked at me and said, heck yeah, I want me some of that. And then it goes sideways anyway. And you think, well, what the bleep happened, right? So here's, Mike, I think where it gets really interesting. So then we tend to like, oh, double down. And you work in the world of marketers. So marketers, by the way, there's a whole parallel riff on this about value propositions, which is kind ah, of the same idea. And it, it ties is. back to challenger, mm. right? When I, I put my value proposition on the table and your customer says, that's amazing. I really want me some of that. Can I get a 10% discount? And you're wondering, <laughs> what the heck happened, right? I just showed you all the ways that were valuable and you agreed <laughs> and then asked for a 10% discount. And then you want to chip. That, that's not cool, people, right? And so what do we do? We so the, the natural and By the way, where do salespeople go? Salespeople talk to marketing and say, I need something that's the value right. proposition thing. Can you make right. it look good? And can you make it have a few dimensions in it where I can build a ladder of value so I can link it to an ROI? 100%, right? And so here is, by the way, this is getting to a point. I promise we'll come around the bend and get into something that like how to solve for this in a second. But there is this really fascinating ph phenomenon based on this I think is really interesting, which is, when when you articulate your value, whether it's dimensions of value, value proposition, negotiables, whatever it is, you lay it all out and you put it on the table and the customer looks you in the eye and agrees and then still says it's a nice to have, still asks for a discount, still stalls, still says the CFO needs to give, whatever it is, the yes, but problem. We have this tendency to naturally think, oh, maybe you didn't understand me. Let me try again, right? Let me get a Let hammer me... and beat you over the head. See, exactly. It's so, a difference. so we we go back and we run the same play, but we try to, it's kind of like that thing where you're in a foreign country and you say the same thing, but louder. It doesn't actually help, right? It's like, Correct. no, it's a temper. You know, it's like, stop <laughs> shouting in my microphone, right? Right. But so, and, and the way that God love marketers and I do love marketers, I really do. But the, the way this is articulated marketing is hilarious. It's like, they'll say this, they'll say, we need to get crisper on our value proposition. How many times have you heard that, Mike? Right? Yeah, and yeah. By, by, by getting crisper, that is the equivalent of just say it again, but say it louder. Yep. Right? In, in, a, in a foreign language setting, right? So it's, what's it's, wrong with that problem? Because there is the nub of the problem. Exactly, right? So, okay, so now let's come around the corner and figure out what do we do about this. So here's at least my current take. And I, I think I, you tell me if I'm on the right track with this. So if you were to root cause this, right? If you were like, like if you were to go say, okay, what the bleep just happened? Why are customers not valuing what we do sufficiently 
to actually pay us for it or agree to do it or whatever, even though they told us that they agree, that they agree on the values. Like, you agreed, but disagreed. It's like, what? If you root cause that, what you find is you, we tend to drill down and think we need to get deeper and deeper into the value and add more dimensions and be more specific and have better calculations. I think rather than going down... Because they haven't understood. Right, yeah. So exactly. Well, that's exactly right. I'm solving for understanding. I don't think that's what we need to solve for. I think rather than going down, we need to go up mm-hmm. and ask. And, and by the way, so just take our supplier hat off for just yep. a second, right? Don't even think about our perspective. We have to kind of go into the, the space, the mind space, the actual physical space of our customer and ask. The, I think the problem here is that in many ways, the customers themselves aren't fully aligned, not on what they value, but what they're even trying to accomplish in the first place, right? So we have to go back to what are the, the, the strategic objectives of that customer and build down from that. We have to start at the top and work down. We have to start with strategic objectives. All right, let's just get clarity in. What are you trying to do at a high level as a company? Is it penetrate uh, the North American market? Is it trying to you know change your product mix? Is it trying to whatever it is that there's, a, there's for any given companies? I know I'm stating kind of the obvious, but we don't go there in these in the heat of the battle in these negotiations, right? Which is at a high level, what are the two to three things that that company feels that they have to get right in the coming years? So strategic objectives, and by the way, there's some altitude shifting there. It's depending on like the strategic objectives for the company or for that functional leader or for that geography. So you can that can move up and down a little bit. But one way or another, let's establish one. What are those strategic objectives? All right, then one level down. Okay, if those are the one or two strategic objectives, where can we play the best? And then from there, what are the what are the practical tactics that that companies need to that, that the company's going to need to pursue in order to achieve those objectives. So there's objectives and then there's tactics. And by the way, this isn't us telling them they need to do this. This is them figuring it out, maybe us helping along the way. So yeah. there's objectives <clears throat> and tactics. And then from tactics, it goes to metrics. So what are the metrics we can use to measure those tactics and progress against those tactics? Yep. And if once we figure out those metrics and we got established targets, all right, so what is the right target to know that we've achieved a certain level, uh, acceptable level against that metric to, to exactly. fulfill that tactic <clears throat> that helps us to deliver on that outcome? And then what's the timeline? So it goes objectives, tactics, metrics, targets, timelines. And you've got to map all that out. These are lead and lag indicators. These KPIs and metrics, some of them are rear view mirror. Some of yep. them are looking down the road ahead to see if we're going to hit. Hundred percent objectives, and, and, and by the way, some of them are quantitative, some of them are qualitative, right? Some right. of them are monetized, and some of them are non-monetized, right? It could be hours saved, it could be pounds made, whatever, right? So, and this, by the way, this is the world that we live in. Ecosystems, I find this endlessly fascinating. Is why I joined the company, um, and we can circle back to that. There's a little plug at the end. I suppose we could do if you yeah, wanted, yeah, but yeah. what we do, but <clears throat> but but one way or another, let's make it more. Com- it's not complicated enough, so let's make it more complicated. All right, um, that chain. Outcomes, tactics, metrics, targets, timelines. That has to be figured out, not just by the company, but that company, that purchase is made up of multiple stakeholders, right? So somewhere between five and last research we did at Gartner, it was like, it was double digits, right? It was 11, 12 people. I've heard many more, 16. So eat, but it's the problem isn't the number. So we always focus on the number because it's such a great headline. It's not the number of stakeholders that matters. It's their diversity. And I don't know about you, Mike, but normally I loved, I'm in the camp of diversity is almost always good. I'm just like, plant my yep. flag on planet diversity. I'm 100% there. But in a B2B sale or a purchase, 
diversity could be a real problem because if each one of those different individuals represents a different function, a different geography, a different capability, what that means, they represent different sets of metrics and different priorities and different dashboards inside their company. So they all have to be aligned around. So that that group of five to 10 people has to have one common vision of outcomes, tactics, metrics, targets, timelines. It has to be unified. And by the way, they're going to struggle to be able to do that on their own. They're going to struggle to even know what those outcomes should be. What are the best tactics? What are the best metrics for this? And that's something you can bring to the table. Before we even get into negotiations, the role that you can really play is to play guide, or uh, I like to say travel agent, right? In other words, like, let me help you based on what we've seen with other companies like yours. Here's the kind of tax tactics they have pursued in order to achieve that objective. Here are the metrics they have found to be most valuable in measuring progress against that particular tactic. You can play a role in that. You don't have to be a taker or just a taker. You can be a maker. And so before we even get negotiables on the table, let's have a conversation about what are you trying to do and how will you even know when you get there? And if I'm aligned on those and I've been the one that helped to construct that view, then negotiation becomes so much more valuable because now when I say, here's all the ways we can help, what do you think? And they say, well, you know, that's really great, but you know, you don't wind up in that world because now I can say, remember, we talked about it. Here's your objectives, your tactics, so on and so on. And here's how this specific calculation ties into you helping realize that particular outcome. And if I can't ladder it all the way back up to that outcome, and if they haven't agreed on that outcome, it's going to be really hard because, because what you're essentially doing in otherwise is you're still doing that. It's just now you're doing it reactively as opposed to proactively, right? And that's just so much harder. And during a sales cycle, and I've so I've been selling, wow, I don't know, services for over 20, wow, no, 28 years. Don't um, say it out loud. I know. <laughs> we were saying before earlier on that, yeah, with, of, of a certain age. Uh, but right. um, if I <laughs> think about those kind of sales, if I think about those kind of sales cycles, we've yeah. all had it whereby the sales just kind of gone away. And I was talking yeah. to Matt about ghosting and about yeah. why you get ghosted. And this is yeah. all very on a, on a very similar track around um, in big organizations, if if what you've just said is true, let's assume it's true for a second. Yeah. yeah. The reason that a negotiation fails or a sales cycle fails, and the two have got a lot of obviously interlink, often yeah. I found was one of the other senior stakeholders wasn't lined up. They had their yeah. own agenda. And that agenda, they have their own solution for that agenda and their own risk profile, which they'd managed. And therefore, there was just no way that even though this senior stakeholder had a budget that was theirs to spend, if they couldn't get IT on board, there was no point. Right. And here, but now we're going to go down a different angle, but this this is actually, oh, this stuff's so interesting. The it's not like that's because if for for a sales professional, oftentimes when that stuff happens, it happens late in the sales cycle and it yeah. comes as a as a surprise, right? I I have a name for this. I call it the "it turns out that" problem, right? It's like you know, it's right. like it's like the four worst words you can ever hear from your customer are "it turns out that" because nothing. <laughs> it's kind of like a a relationship conversation starts with "we need to talk," right? Mm. Nothing good happens after the four words. It turns out that it turns out that IT's got some real tough questions. But but what's really interesting about this is many times that stuff can be um, predicted, right? So oftentimes when yeah. your customer says, <clears throat> it turns out that they're legitimately surprised. Oh my God, IT's like, uh, I had no idea that we were going to have to run this through legal. And boy, they've got some questions. But I always find, I often find that when, <laughs> when, um, when things go off the rails for your customer inside their own organization with their buying process, it's like, I'm a sales guy. It's their, it's their company, it's their process. And yet they're surprised 
that legal had to get involved. Well, you know what's funny is most sales reps are not surprised. They're like, you know, their reaction is like more often than not, it's like, oh God, here we go again, right? Here's the one where, let me guess, legal's gotten involved now and they've yeah. got some- Or oh, procurement IT's, turn up. Right? Yeah, right, late. exactly. Well, so if, <laughs> if these things are in fact predictable, yeah, right, to you, the seller, and not identifiable in advance by your customer, that actually is something that you can turn to your advantage. At least it's an opportunity to say, what if rather than being, again, a taker on these things, we, we took on this role of, if not maker, at least uh, influencer. What if we became like a guide or a Sherpa to our customers? Trusted hey, advisor. Exactly, right? But now I'm not just advising you on your business and how to make and save money, which is classic challenger. Now I'm advising you on how to navigate your own internal decision-making complexity. And, and you might think, well, it's their freaking company. They should know how to do that. But they don't because it's so hard. And the, we haven't even touched the will part. We could, I've got it parked over here. We can come to that or not, depending if you want to go there. Because it's not just they don't know. They don't want to know because it's a big pain in the freaking neck, right? I don't want to go talk to IT. I'd rather die than go talk to IT. Nothing against IT people. Like legal? Are you kidding me? Every time I pick up legal, uh, the phone with legal, there's a problem. I it's like I I it's like, shoot me now, right? So th these are all very human uh, feelings and emotions and reactions, and we're solving for it at a step three in the sales process. So we need to move it to step four. It's like you kidding me? It's like we have to understand the physics of these human relations. And we have to understand that we know things about how this is going to go down that our customers don't. And what they really want is they either want it to go away or they want it to be easy or they want it to, and they want to feel good. They want to feel confident about themselves. This is Matt's point about not fear of missing out, but fear of messing up. It's very similar to a lot of the work I was involved with at Gartner right before I departed around customer confidence. The thing we have to solve for more than anything else today isn't customers' confidence in us as a supplier, as a brand, as a, as, a, as a salesperson. We have to solve for customers' confidence in themselves and their ability individually and collectively to navigate their own complexity, their confidence that they've made the right choice, the confidence that they've asked the right questions, their confidence that they've looked at enough information, their confidence that they even agree on what they're even trying to do in the first place. If they don't feel confident across all those dimensions – they're not going to make a choice, particularly not a big one with a multi-million dollar pound exactly. euro price tag associated with it. So a couple of things. Um, yeah. I'm all over mind. the map today, Mike, man. That I'll is tell good. You, you, oh, we're liking where, this. Where, this is where good. do you want to go with this, man? I just like put all sorts <laughs> of It's a very big playing table. field. So a yeah. couple of things. So yeah. Matt mentioned FOMU, fear yeah. of messing up. Yeah. And I really hadn't thought of that before, but now what you've just said and yeah. what he said, obviously, yeah. kind of makes sense is that and we used to call it risk aversion, was that, yep. you know, sure. they wouldn't do it because they're a risk aversion. Actually, what's going on is, if this goes wrong, they might get fired, especially in this kind of climate. You know, we're in yep. February 23, the world's going through an economic crisis in various forms. And if you, if this messes up, there is a good chance you might get fired. Yep. And I think that's what you're talking to as well. That's part of it. So, so I, I'm I'm with Matt. The, the FOMO, FOMO thing is very clever. I, it's like, yeah, when it came up, it's like, oh, wait, man, I wish I'd come up with that. That's really good. But the, uh, <laughs> but 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 let's talk about the F and FOMO, the fear of messing up. It's fear, right? I I think I'm I'm 100 on board. So this is no way a Matt. I think Matt's work is really great, and and Ted too, the former colleague of ours that that they do that work together. Ted's a great guy. But the um, there's there's another dimension that I'd add to the fear dimension because fear is like, okay, I need to allay fears, right? So you're scared, I need to make you less scared. That would be the solution. Correct, exactly. And, As a salesperson, you go, how can I make you less scared? Yeah. Right, so, or, and so I, I, I'm in a, I'm on a, a, a 
sister planet that's like in a co-synchronous orbit or something. But, you know, it's like, I'm on confidence planet, which is you're less confident. How do I make you more confident, right? So it is how to make you more confident in yourself. But there's another one here, which is just, I think a lot of people, so let me back up. So before the pandemic, as I was traveling all over the world, sharing the, the research we did at Gartner and, and, and CEB, I had this exercise I'd used to do, which I, I, it was so powerful. And I've done this now with thousands and thousands of people around the world. I, I'd simply, it's a, I call it the moment of empathy, which is to say, all right, so I'm talking to heads of sales, heads of marketing, CMOs, CSOs all over the world. And I said, all right, let's just do, here's an exercise. All right, I want you to all take your sales hat or your marketing hat off for just a minute and put your buying hat on. I want you to think about this from a buying perspective. Think in your own company, in your own personal experience, a time when you were involved with your colleagues in a purchase, a large-scale purchase, maybe it was capital equipment, maybe it was business services, whatever, you know, consulting engagement, whatever it was, your six, seven-figure deal in your own company. And I want you to think about the, all the people who were involved, all the decisions that had to be made, all the steps you had to go through. And now, as you're thinking through all that, just reflecting on that, if I were to ask you, what is one word, one adjective that would describe that entire experience, what would that word be? And I'll tell you, Mike, again, quite literally, I mean, I'm literally, because I used to do this on big stages too, thousands of people I've asked this question to. And I have yet to hear, I think I've heard one positive, like it was collegial, I think was the one positive word or something like collaborative or something. Everything else, long, hard, frustrating, awful. Someone said landmine. I said, that's not an adjective. And he said landmine-ish, right? So I've, it's got, like, I've got chaos in my head because I've got a deal I'm thinking about that we that I did eight years ago. Yeah, Same sort of thing. Multi-million dollar deal. There were tens of stakeholders involved. In fact, yeah. almost a hundred. And it was chaos. Right. And and that's the thing. So because by the way, there's a second, there's a second question. Well, I'm organized, Brent. Well, you know, well, I know, I'm, I'm that's just good it, at, right? You know, <laughs> I mean, even the Germans struggle with this, right? And right. their process coming out of their ears. And I say that with love for Germans, right? But the but it's just and then I the, the follow-up question is long, hard, awful, frustrating. One CMO, I'll never forget her response was her, you know what her adjective was, Mike? Her adjective was. I never want to do that again. All one word, all slammed together. I never want to do that again. And you could see the pain in her eyes. You could viscerally feel the energy coming off her of like she legitimately never wanted to do that again. And I often ask people, what do you do when the first word your customer thinks about not in buying your solution, but buying a solution like yours is I never want to do that again, right? That's tough. And then I ask, so here's the follow-up question. All right, so how much of that pain, how much of that frustration, how much of that awfulness how much of that landminishness was a result of the supplier selling to you, just making things harder? And how much of it, how much of it was just your own company getting in its own way? And you could you already know where this went, right? Everybody to a person says, it's just our own company because we're all convinced we work. This is this so fascinating. I think to a person, we are all convinced that we work at the world's most dysfunctional company. And, and what I've come to believe is we're all correct. Everyone is. You know why? Because we're all human beings. And, 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 and that, so, so now to go back circle, I, I promise you, I've got the threads in the air, the balls are in the air and I'm going to bring them, all right, let's bring them all back down now. So, so FOMU, the fear of messing up, right? hundred percent true. Great research. The, the riff on confident customers aren't confident in, in themselves. Great riff, really important. But you think about like, I never want to do that again. You know what the biggest problem there is? It's just freaking hard. It's not, it's not like I'm scared. I, you know, I'm kind of scared of messing up. hundred percent true. Is it, I'm not confident we asked the right question yet, but you know what it is? I'm just tired. I'm just, I, it's like, I got to go down. The, it's kind of like trying to get your kids in bed on time. If you've yep. got you know, young kids, mm. trying to get your Going kids to, to do the trigonometry homework. Any, yeah. Right. It's like, 
It's just, and by the way, those two things are happening in the same lifetime of a human. Like, I got to get up in the morning, get my kids out of bed. They don't want to go. And then I got to go to work and try to get IT on board. It's like, I got was when, when, when do I just get a break? I just wish something in my life were a little bit easier, over the top, a little dramatic, maybe, but tell me I'm wrong. I think we're all just tired. And, and as things become more complicated, it becomes more exhausting. And I think what happens is there's just a certain amount of inertia that builds around these things that that business cases and value propositions really struggle to cut through. You may have a world-class value proposition. You may have the best negotiables on the table. But my, I look at that and I think, that's great. You're right. No, you're 100% right. We could save more money on that, but I'm tired. So, Brent, what do you do about that? So, how... So what's the kind of the practical steps? to you yeah. framed the problem really well. You've yeah. gone into a bit more of the depth. So we've got a bit more of an understanding. So if let's assume that we all, the audience that's listening, broadly yeah. agrees and they empathize. What yeah. do we do about it? Yeah, good luck. I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that, that's that's that cool. And that was brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. There's, in the Challenger sale, we quote Deb Oler, who at the time was the chief sales officer at a company called Granger. And, and she she taught us a lot about insight uh, before Challenger was even born. And she said, you can't go teach your customers a new way to think about their business, how they're exposed to risk or costs they haven't fully appreciated and say, oh, by the way, we can't help you with that. She said, that's not cool, right? That's, yeah. She called, she called that, <laughs> her name for that was teaching your customer into the desert. I love that phrase, teaching your customer into the or desert. Or teaching your customer into deep water. Right. Well, yeah. Either way, I, the desert to me is just so much more evocative. But I'm with you. But all right. By okay, the way, so, I've got the good, the bad, and the ugly film in my head when Tuco's left in the desert. I don't know if that's a good wow. or a bad thing. Oh, you are old, Mike. I so I appreciate you. Let's <laughs> let's just start. We should break into a conversation about greatest hits of the '70s or something. That's and never will lose. We'll lose your entire audience. But for all right, but the okay. There's an article that we, uh, Nick Toman, who was part of this, he was a co-author on the Challenger Customers, part of this whole group of people that we did research together. Nick and I put an article in the Harvard Business Review a few years ago called The New Sales Imperative. And it kind of got overlooked a little bit relative to the other stuff we put in HBR. But in many ways, it picks up on this point, which is, you know what's really interesting, Mike? Is that I think the single biggest opportunity, maybe I don't know what single biggest, one of the three. So if we like make your customers more confident, make your customers less fearful. So that's Matt and kind of me on the confident point. You know what the really other thing is missing here is just make it freaking easier. Just whatever you can do to make things easier for your customers. And there's and a lot of what I, I you know, I've, I've moved from this kind of position in my head of being a frame breaker to being what I call a frame maker. Uh, so frame breaking is very challenger-esque, right? So break your customer's mental model, give them a new way to think about their business. I still stand by that largely, although I think the context is very different. But I think the the, the bigger opportunity for differentiation, if you really want to stand out today, then you take on this role, not a frame breaker and show up with another great insight, um, but be a frame maker, which is help your customers organize, prioritize, analyze their thinking, their process, become the guide or the Sherpa that helps them not understand your product, but helps them understand their how to navigate their own organization, how to define value. So if you're the one that says, hey, before we talk about these values and negotiables, let's just make sure we're aligned on outcomes. In fact, let's make sure you guys are aligned on outcomes. And oh, by the way, have you talked to IT yet? Because we find that companies that don't talk to IT, they get really wrapped around the axle in this. We'd, we'd really encourage you to bring them in early. When you do, here are the three questions they're likely to have. And let me just make this easier. I've already put together the deck. You're going to need to have that conversation. Any and every, so, you know, it's funny when we focus on ease, we, particularly on the marketing side, 
we focus 99% of our time, effort, and mental energy, it seems, on making it easier to buy from us. The entire customer experience or CX discipline arose from this idea that across every touch point at our company, we need to be easier to do business with. But again, you remember that question, how much of it was a, how much of the problem was a result of the company selling to you and how much was it your own company getting in its own way? It's, it's the it's, own company, yeah. If you're going to solve for ease, don't solve for ease of your company buying from your company, solve for the ease of that journey your customers got to go on irrespective of you. How can I guide them through outcomes, tactics, metrics, targets, timelines? How can I guide them through who to talk to, stakeholder management? How can I guide them through the different alternatives? How can I guide them? This is the sense-making work we did. That's also an HBR. How can we guide them through information and just help them put a framework around information so that they know, because I'm just inundated with freaking white papers. I say freaking a lot, sorry. But like, there's so, sometimes I say other things, but then you get an idea right there. <laughs> there's, there's like white paper after white paper. And here's another sales rep who shows up on my doorstep and says, hey, but have you read our white paper? It's like, oh my God, shoot me now. I was like, <laughs> exactly. I, this is like, it's like trying to buy something on Amazon. I went to Amazon the other day, I tried to buy a $15 freaking dongle for my laptop to you know connect my iPhone. Oh my, you like you, you put it you know, like dongle, USB-C, and Amazon's like, no problem. I got your back. Here's 1,500 options. It's like, are you kidding me? Three hours later, he's like, oh, this was like, well, this one's recommended. Great. You gave me guidance, but hold on. Uh, it's got 4.9 stars. It was great, but one person hated it. Ugh, I don't know. One person, I better read another review and then another review. And I, oh, but this one's got, all right, I'll go read this one. This one's got 4.89 stars. Four hours later, I still haven't bought the freaking dongle, and but it's okay. Amazon's got your back. They got a little button. This is true, by the way. I don't know if anyone, your listeners shop on Amazon. Amazon has a button that literally says, save for later. You know what that is? This is too hard. I don't know what to do. Just save for later. I, I ever Because I know I tell this story often, so I always check. My wife, long, very happy, 30 years of marriage, all good. But my wife on her Amazon account, this is a true story. She has 568 items saved for later. Wow. That's true. That's, I, I, right? it's crazy. That's 560 times. As a consumer, not even in, we're not even talking B2B, we're talking B2C on relatively low involvement, low price purchases, $15 dongles, and 500 times she wiped out. She did, she couldn't, like it just got too hard. And, and none way, of those will get, none of those will ever get returned to ever. Exactly. That's like you start, you just start from scratch next time, right? You start over. It's like, it's like me buying a car a couple of years ago for the pandemic. It took me three years to buy a car because I just couldn't pull the trigger. And and then you and you think particularly in the world of marketing, well, let's put it all in digital. And the, there's a whole nother riff around customers learning on their own in digital is a disaster because the world of digital is is the book The Shallows, right? Which is all about sort of it's the sea of sameness. Everything looks the same in digital because it's all designed to regress to the mean. So it's hard to see nuance. It's hard to see difference in the digital world. And so your customers just get completely hamstrung on their own. All of this sums up to how do we help our customers feel more confident in themselves? How do we make our, how do we help our customers feel more confident to move forward? How do we help it just help them make it easier to work through their process? I mean, all of this before we get into, otherwise, so if we start with the very last thing, Mike, we're like, let me put these negotiables on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, we've overlooked all of that. And then our customer says, yeah, this is really great. I totally believe this, but, and then you hear, and all of the, everything you hear after, but, isn't solved by different or more negotiables. Everything you hear after the word but is solved by these bigger, longer issues of helping customers feel differently about their own journey that they're going on. And by the way, something I'm very, very passionate, irritated, animated about, it yeah. certainly isn't solved by offering a discount. 
nothing is solved by offering a discount, right? It's it's a complete disaster. But 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 that's but but you know, again, a lot of what we're talking about isn't a buying phenomenon or a B two B phenomenon. Much of what we're talking about is a human phenomenon, right? And remember, at the core of this human phenomenon is I just I just wish this were easier. I just wish there was a way to just cut through all of this crap and just excuse my language, but and just oh my God, just someone make it easier. And that's I think what the sales rep is doing. It's like. He's like, I got to go align these people and this, this Adamson bald dude talking about outcomes and met- I don't even remember what the other four words like, shoot me now. I, I don't, I don't like stakeholder alignment. What the hell is that? You know, it's like, you know, I, here, I'm just going to offer him a discount, right? Because it's, it's just like, I don't know what to do. And like, and, and by the way, this thing was supposed to come in two weeks ago. The end of the quarter is three weeks away. I've got a goal to hit. I ain't going to hit it. If you go, if I go run the plays as this loud, fast talking Americans talking about, that's months of work. I got three weeks or I get fired. And by the way, if I bring it in, I'm going to Cancun. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer them a discount because that's what I can do right now. I kind of get it. I'm not saying it's right, but I kind of get it. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's a human thing to do. So two things. Yeah. We're going to come to a close. So, oh God, have we actually gone anywhere yet? We, we we left, well, we got the train in the car. left the station, Mike. We got in the car. We went on a journey. Okay. All right. <laughs> Around the block. Around the block. The electric vehicle, so it's all good. It's all charged. Um, yep. So, two things. Yeah. Is that problem getting worse and why? Yeah. And, or why not? Mm-hmm. And secondly, what are your kind of two or three takeaways just from this discussion? Forget the negotiation topic, the label. Don't you have to, you don't yeah. have to bring it back to a particular thing. What are your kind of, is it getting worse? And what are your two or three takeaways from this conversation? I, I, not to sound dramatic, I, I think in some ways probably it is getting worse. I mean, look, uh, humans have always been tired and always exhausted. We've always been parents, all that kind of stuff. But the the number of stakeholders involved in a typical B2B purchase has done nothing but gone up over it. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. During the pandemic, it went down as a blip, but that was a blip. Um, and and the reason why, it's, it's kind of ironic, is because suppliers are kind of driving this, right? We, we, as we create solutions and new technologies that you know are now backed by technology or runoff technology and now can, you know, uh, are integrate, integrate, by the word, the word integrated sounds so sexy as a value proposition, but you know what the word integrated means on the, on the buying side, more stakeholders, right? Uh, what does the word data mean? More stakeholders. I mean, just the think about, like, there's a really interesting question everyone should ask themselves, like, who's at the table today on the customer side as, as part of a purchase? Who's at the table today who wasn't there two years ago? And that, and 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 you know, you'll find things like today. There's there's this person called a CISO, right? The the chief information security officer. I, like five years ago, none of us were talking about CISOs. Now they're everywhere, and the reason why is because most of our solutions they are are backed by data or fed through data. And so now we're worried about information security, worried about identity in the in the in UK or at least in Europe. We've got GDPR, so now we got legal teams looking at things differently. And all that's right, makes sense. But but it's like. I don't think we're going to unwind any of that. If anything, that's going to continue to grow, right? So, and again, it's not the number, it's the diversity of these people because they all come to the table with those different views. And so we have to, have to, have to get better at stakeholder, not just management, but stakeholder alignment. The opening chapter of the Challenger customer, it's the second of the Challenger books. I still, I think that's the better book, if I may. And I, I think what, what we talk about in that first chapter is mind-blowing to me. It's still one of the most interesting things we found, which is the better and better you get at getting each of those individual stakeholders to align with you, the worse things become. Actually, it's, it's the most counterintuitive of everything Say that we again? found. I, don't, I know, no, right? No, you, no, you, no, you, no, no, no. You did no. not see it. I know you did not see that coming, right? Uh, <laughs> right? But the, but the, the so better you say that better, to the end. Thanks, Brent. I know, right? Well, it's like, now for the second hour of our podcast, but the 
the better and better we, too. Yeah. <laughs> the better and better we get. This is so fascinating. We like we didn't believe it when we first saw this. The better and better we get at positioning our offer on the merits of what each individual stakeholder cares about. So I go to IT and talk to them about, about here's how IT is going to care about my solution. I yeah. go to legal and talk about here's how legal is. The better and better we get at positioning our offer for each individual stakeholder, the less likely, the less likely we are to win uh-huh. a high quality deal. Right? I know. It's one of the weirdest things we ever found. And it's a skip to the, the whole narrative. We wrote a whole book on it, right? But the uh, the, the the punchline is this, that insofar as we don't have a numbers problem, but a diversity problem. So these are people that aren't fully aligned on their metrics, on their outcomes, on their mental model of what's important. And yeah. we go and tailor and position and personalize our message to what each one cares about. We do. That's but right. If there's very little overlap among those stakeholders to begin with, and we've personalized our uh, offer to what okay. each individual cares about, what we've done is we've exacerbated difference. Yeah, we have. Rather yeah, yeah. than overcome it, we've actually done the exact opposite. Of what we're doing. we call this the collection of yeses uh, strategy. So I go and collect a yes from him, I collect, yeah, yeah. I get a yes from her, a yes from him, a yes from her, and and we wind up in this great. There's some great language around this. Like we live in a world where one plus one plus one equals zero. I, that we got that from a head of sales. I don't remember who, but it was an amazing quote. But if I'm right, what we haven't yeah. done is we haven't aligned the goals. What we've Correct. done is we've just there taken our proposition, aligned yeah. it with their agenda on each of yeah. the stakeholders. But when you look at individual agendas, exactly. When you look above them all, there is no alignment of business goal that everyone can buy into. So the the I I talk in what's often known, at least at a team at CB, we call this bumper stickering. So like a short phrase. So the the bumper sticker on this is we rather than doing a better job of aligning individual stakeholders to us, we have to do a better job of aligning individual stakeholders to to each each other. Exactly. And that's where, and if you need a framework for that, so going back to your solutions question, that that to me, I, I the more I think about this, the more I wed to it, I become outcomes, tactics, metrics, targets, timelines. I'm sure I could add more dimensions. I could add, make it more complicated, but just that framework. And by the way, that framework has to be then, so how can I get that team to consolidate around that? Outcomes, tactics, metrics, targets, timelines. And then if you want extra credit, then how do I get my own organization to align around that same vision? So as a customer aligns around those things, how do I make sure that on our side, marketing and digital, pre-sales, sales, implementation, success, service, account management, and growth are all aligned around that same vision that you co-created with a customer? So what we really need is an infrastructure, some sort of place to not just not just a repository, not just a place to record that, but to create that, a workspace, an environment where you and your customer collaboratively starting at the top of the funnel and then and creating that vision of those five dimensions and monitoring it and, and revisiting it constantly as context changes, as Russia invades Ukraine, as a you know, as a ship gets stuck in the Suez Canal, as global pandemic breaks out, those things are gonna change. And so we need a vehicle to go back and revisit those, and we can't revisit them if they're not logged somewhere. Uh, that, by the way, that is the final plug. I've just done to you, Mike, what we talk about in challenge. I've just led to because that is what we do uh, at ecosystems. We we offer the platform that that makes all of that happen. It's this. It's the infrastructure, the, the rails on which all of that runs uh, is what we do. But 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 irrespective of the plug at the end here, that is and irrespective of whether I ever came to Eco or not, the company. That's my answer to your question: is that we have to make it easier. We have to help our customers feel more confident. And we have to, from Matt's perspective, reduce fear. I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Around, around, but create easier alignment around those five things and make sure that that becomes the North Star for every conversation. And then when you put negotiables on the table, then it's a simple, I don't know, simple, but it's a relatively straightforward question around, 
do these negotiables help us achieve those five dimensions? Do they help us make progress or not? Are they relevant or not? And, and also and what it, happens is, yeah. if you, so that's a brilliant way of, of drawing this to a close, uh, is if I look at negotiation success and yeah. I look at kind of leverage as a, as a seller, if a seller's managed to get, take my old role as a buyer, if a seller's yeah. managed to get me and all my colleagues in different functions lined up around our own goals and our business yep. objectives, and we've come to a conclusion that this is the best way forward, the chance of me switching to another supplier to finish the deal, do something different, get a better price, is frankly ludicrous. Why yeah. would I go through all that pain of right. getting all my colleagues aligned around our own goals and where we're going and the metrics and everything else, and then go, thanks, Brent, I'm going to just go and talk to Fred who can do something similar, but at a cheaper yeah. price. I wouldn't do that because it wouldn't make any sense. Not in an absolute sense. I, I, at the very least, I, I'm with you. And what I would say is, I think you'd agree, it, you significantly reduce the probability of that happening, right? There's always- Correct. It, it can still happen, right. for sure. Yeah. But, but, but even, even in the world where it does, effectively what you've done is you've, written, you've pre-written the tender of the RFP, right? There, and there's also, not to go down a whole nother rabbit hole, and I promise, because I know you want to wrap up, but just let me make a quick plug for the book Influence by Robert Cialdini. That's one of oh, the- amazing. You know, Oh, right, canonical, book. canonical books of of not just sales but human interaction. It's called Influence, and and in in the book, uh, Cialdini talks about um, of what's known as a value exchange. And I think what's really interesting is if you become the partner, the supplier, the the agent, whatever it is, if you become the, the 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 organization, the team that helped your customers feel better, feel more confident, make it easier, align around their objectives, get up in the morning and say, "We can do this." That's valuable. You've just created, you know, irrespective of all the value of the return on our, you know, the ROI or the savings or the net present value, all that stuff, you've just created a completely different dimension of value is you've changed the way they feel about themselves for the better. Holy mackerel, is that valuable? And they will repay you because I, I want to work with you, Mike, because every time I work with you and your company, we just feel better about ourselves. Now, I think all of that happens at sort of the subconscious level, but I think it's there. And and so that's, I think, part of what's going on as well. Be the company that makes your customers feel better about themselves. Brent, it's been amazing. Well, I, like we said at the beginning, before we even start recording, there would be rabbit warrens. I kind of <laughs> metaphorically tore up the questions, threw them away, <laughs> because this, I knew it would be a fascinating discussion. This is why, Mike, I don't prepare for these things, because I never know where I'm going to go. But, but anyway, it's like... That's because uh, you've got we, a huge brain, Brent, whereas I haven't. <laughs> no, I hardly. But it's, if I if I had a huge brain, I would have called you Mark right out of the gates. But anyway, <laughs> so that's what's known, by the way, in the business as a callback. So there you go. Now we've gone full circle. We now have structural and narrative unity, so we can now end the podcast. <laughs> we can, Brent. It's been amazing. Thank you. Where can people find out more about you? Um, we are at ecosystems.io is the website. Um, I uh, real briefly um, on LinkedIn is the best place to find me personally, um, and of course at ecosystems uh, b adamson at ecosystems.us uh, or .io either one. Um, but if real quick plug at ecosystem, one of the things we started up when I first got there is a weekly video series on we post on eco uh, the eco account and on my account personally on LinkedIn, and then we put them over on YouTube as well. And we named the series Brent's Breakdown. Um, a colleague of mine named it. She had no idea how close to the mark she actually landed with that not the title, but that's a different story. But the, uh, um, but it's just like snackable 
bite-sized chunks of insight. So every week it's somewhere between three, the longest is 10, but I try to keep them under six or five. It's about five minute videos. Each week is uh, is a new insight, a new idea, a new perspective, something to think about. Uh, just a little piece of insight that I've picked up over the years, and and they're, uh, we put them out once a week. And the over under mic on like when I run out of ideas is probably about another three weeks, but we'll see. Now I, I don't know. I, I'm really fascinated to see how long I could just leg this thing out. I don't know if I get to a year or two years. I don't know. We'll oh, I think out. you'll go on for Stay years, tuned. Brent. I'm sure you'll go on know. for years, definitely. Yeah, but there you have it, Brent. It's been amazing. Honestly, seriously, it's been great. Thank you ever so much. Cheers, Mike. Be well. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.